Welcome to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast, where we are exploring the crossroads of two hot topics, digitalization and diversity. My name is Adya and I am your host. Welcome back to the Digitalization and Diversity Podcast. Thanks for joining us on the show. On today's episode, we have Chaitanya Konda. I connected with Chaitanya almost eight years ago at business school in France, and we stayed in touch, even though our career choices took us to different geographies after graduation. Chaitanya comes from a city called Nellore in south of India. She has lived in India, France, UK, Australia, Nigeria, and Kenya, either for work or for education. But after all the exploration, she finally calls London her home today. After short stints in finance and e-commerce, she found her calling in blockchain research. If you meet Chaitanya outside work, you would catch her learning or talking about poker, squash, astrophysics, and fashion. I'm glad to have you here with us, Chaitanya. Tell us a bit about yourself. So what does a blockchain and cryptography researcher do? And how did you get into this field? Uh, thank you very much for that introduction, Adia. Um, as, as you've already introduced me, I'm Chaitanya, and I live in London today. Um, so I, I work as a blockchain cryptography researcher at Ernst & Young. Um, Ernst & Young is typically not the sort of uh, firm that does tech or, or tech research at all. They're mainly known to be an audit firm. Um, somehow stars align and this is what we do um, as a very particular niche. Um, but only specifically around blockchain and cryptography really where we have this sort of expertise. Um, the problems I solve are mainly to do with what is not practical about blockchains today. Today we hear about um, NFT tokens or non-fungible tokens being bought and sold um, either as gaming or collectibles or um, for all sorts of options and everything that we hear about today. Um, that's just one thing we hear about blockchains in the context of. Um, we also probably keep hearing about decentralized finance, uh, DeFi being another thing, uh, or ICOs or initial coin offerings and cryptocurrencies and investing and buying all sorts of tokens and cryptocurrencies. Um, all of these are various applications within blockchain. Um, cryptocurrency is also just an application of blockchain. You can do a lot more with it. Uh, but to do any of these services or projects on blockchain, um, what really is essential is for them to be practical. And when I say practical, what I mean by that is scalability, which is to be able to do transactions with less fee, throughput, which is to be able to do a lot of transactions in, in, in a certain amount of time, and also having privacy. Um, so my work is to do with solving these privacy scalability throughput sort of issues for a blockchain, particularly an Ethereum blockchain. And the way I do that is, is basically a mix of using mathematics, cryptography, information theory, computer science. Thanks a lot, Chaitanya, for sharing uh, this information, right? Especially demystifying the buzzwords of a blockchain researcher. I think that was very, very formative and um, fascinating for me. And I have to be very honest, I do not know much about a career in the blockchain sector. 
So how did you get into this field and um, what kind of challenges did you have to face to grow in your career? Uh, that's, uh, that's actually uh, how I ended up in the field was not really planned, I should say. Um, as you already know, Adia, I, uh, what I studied in my master's was um, management along with you in HEC. Mm-hmm. Um, and before that, I did computer science um, as my, in my inform, information technology uh, during my bachelor's. Um, none of this was really aligned. Uh, well, at least not my master's was really aligned to the blockchain sort of role, really. Um, but somehow during my dual degree, second master's, master's in international business with uh, Ashish as well, um, I was working on my uh, thesis paper. And at the, at the point, I was really interested in payments and payment solutions because there was this whole sort of disruption happening in um, finance and fintech and payments in particular, too, amongst them. And I thought um, at this point, well, Paytm existed in India, but more 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 so as mainly a, a means to recharge or prepaid cards and things like that, but not as the sort of pay your bills using Paytm today and all sorts of um, offerings that you have with um, razor pay and everything that's come out in India that did not exist around the time. And I was very keen on having to be able to start of something like that in India. And so I was very keen in, on understanding the payments and the payment disruption that was happening. Um, and that was also around what I did my thesis with. Obviously, if you were to touch payments and payments infrastructure and how all of this works, um, you would definitely end up in, in the world of blockchains because blockchain is the infrastructure on which cryptocurrency, which is a payment mechanism works as well. Um, so that's how I started well, I've already known about Bitcoin and blockchain for quite some time, being in IT in general. Uh, but I also started getting more interested in the field, let's say, when I was getting deeper and deeper during my thesis uh, in the time around then. Um, so when I moved to EY uh, in London and I was working as a consultant in their financial services office, um, one of the problems I really faced was that I was not very keen on the sort of work I was doing around then, um, only because when I had to move to UK, um, considering that I did not study in UK, I did not have a foot in the UK, um, I had to really leverage my background as a technology person to find or to differentiate myself amongst the thousands of other applicants who were also applying to EY Financial Services. So I, so when I moved into EY as a financial services, but on there as a uh, on the technical expertise side of things. Um, it, it was interesting, but I will, my cohort of people that I worked with was quite, um, was very young. People in UK t- tend to work uh, straight out of bachelor's and or straight out of school too sometimes. And so, and I've already at this point had quite a bit of experience. So it did not, I was not quite where I wanted to be because I was not really learning a lot. I was not being given the tasks that would kind of make me learn a lot more. Um, so around the time I, I was really playing, I had quite a bit of time on my hands. I was playing with building blockchain proof of concepts um, and I would um, have fun with it. And I would just go pitch about these to the various people within EY, some of the partners, just so because they can have these interesting conversations with the clients they meet or just to educate a few people here and there. I was, I was really just having fun around it. Um, and at the time, EY was starting off their own global blockchain division. And this partner called Paul Brody um, was apparently looking to hire people into the team. So people who already knew I was interested in blockchain suggested I probably work uh, on a project or work with the team, really. 
Um, and yeah, if I sent him a mail saying um, I have these proof of concepts, I'm happy for you to use them. Or if you have any products, I'm happy for you to work on. Um, I reached out to him saying just that. And uh, I think that was the start of this whole change where probably I became more specific in niche into working every day, day in, day out on blockchain. Um, I, was, I was recruited full-time into his team and that became my life. Wow, that is an amazing journey. And thank you for sharing that. I mean, as you know, I also have a background in technology being uh, an engineer by training. And I've spent the last years working primarily on different projects in the tech and digitalization space. And looking at your career journey, specifically the last few years, um, you have invested in developing significant expertise in blockchain technology. So, so what I'm leading to is probably the question that what are your thoughts in developing your career towards a niche technology or being rather a tech generalist? Okay, that's a, that to me is a very interesting question because it's one I've asked myself when Paul offered me this job as a blockchain researcher within the team. I asked myself, oh, is this something I should take? Because this will define my career into blockchain. And I'm going away from the general sort of financial services consulting to be able to explore other sorts of consulting to very niche of the blockchain world. I've asked this question myself. And at the part, at the time, I clearly wasn't sure if that was the right step to make. Um, but it's also a question I keep having often with a lot of my close friends. And this is a fun debate that I do have. And with time, this is what I've come to realize is that it's very individual specific, but there's those very select few individuals who probably very earlier on in their lives realize what it is that they're passionate about and what it is they're calling. Let's say, um, you know, some of those top sports players or some of the top uh, dancers or, or figure skaters or people in technology or some of the biggest CEOs, they realize their expertise lies in either their, their physical skills or their um, talkative leadership skills and things like that. But for the majority of the lot, um, things just don't fall into place as quick unless and until you probably try out quite a few things in life. Um, and because not everything you try is something that you can be passionate about. And I personally believe that work shouldn't be work, wouldn't be work if you really enjoy doing it. Um, and so if you want to figure out what it is that's not work for you, but you'd love to do every day and any day, um, I think it really comes down to trying quite a few things until you realize what it is. And in order for you to try, you can be nothing but a generalist. You can't really go hands down into everything that you come across because you just wouldn't have the time to explore anything. Um, so I, I think it's really about trying out quite a few things to realize what it is that you naturally tend towards, that you naturally tend to want to learn more of, even without having to put the effort. Um, so, so there's a bit of the two. So I really believe that some people just enjoy being journalists all their lives just because their expertise comes in tying a lot of things together. Like Tim Ferriss, he can talk about everything and anything. So in that sense, he's a journalist in, in the bigger sense of the word. Yes, he's very skilled in some things, but his skills come down to bringing a lot of people together and asking them the right set of questions. So and for other people, um, it's just being very specific what they can contribute, really. 
So I, I think it's very individual specific, that particular question. Um, but I think at the start, at least you might have to start off as a journalist, trying your hands at various things, getting them dirty with various things to eventually realize, yes, I have a niche or not. Yeah. And I think that's a very good perspective on evaluating your passions, right? Because I think at different points in, in, in your life, people are always evaluating uh, what their passions are, uh, what these passions can be related to the current work which you do, or if that's something which should be a personal passion, right? Which you can grow more in your private life, I would say. And when it comes to now the theme of the podcast, as you know, it's it's more looking at topics related to digitalization and diversity. And hence, I would like to ask, is the blockchain sector a role model for diversity? And what do you think about it, especially being a woman in this field? Well, I've been in this field for, for the last um, five to six years now, um, actually a bit more. And uh, what I've come to realize is that blockchain like most technology fields um, still has it doesn't still have an equal split of men to women ratio for sure and probably even to the extent that the amount of women we do have in the sector is quite less still um, obviously I'm making this comparison to looking at other fields like education where we see a lot more women or, or real estate where we still see a lot more women um, or healthcare it's we're definitely not at that sort of ratio still um, but what on top of comparing it or categorizing it on a tech sector I would also say probably blockchain still has fewer women still as opposed to I don't know, take your machine learning or data science or big data sort of fuels. Um, because I think it's sort of been normalized to be in those sorts of tech sectors for women today. Our, our minds are conditioned. We come across women in these sorts of roles um, in our day-to-day walks of life when we meet the, with these women in our own personal lives or, or, or we, we see it on TV and we realize, oh yes, I mean, it seems to be think that women are well represented in I think but blockchain still has not gotten there yet but that's not fair of me to say that it's completely not devoid of women at the same time when I started off with EY uh, probably we were a team of we started with a team of about five people really um, and then it grew to like 30 and eventually grew to 200 when it was a team of five people we were about I was about a team of 30 people I was one woman sitting in this room with all the men and today when we're about 200 people uh, we have at least 20 30 women who are in the field Um, even in R&D team that I work in we're about five people and two of us are women Um, and in fact some of the other people we work with in, in, the, in the industry, well, proper PhD academic people, um, some of them are, are, are amazing women too. So there are quite a few women in, in this field, um, but it has still not reached the levels of, let's say, some of these other fields in tech and definitely nowhere close to other sectors like, as what I've already told, um, healthcare or, or uh, education. That's, there's that gap still. Uh, but, but on a completely different note, um, this is women who are working in the field. What I do see is funny thing um, is when you look at these conferences or even in fact the recent Bitcoin Miami conference, um, if you look at the, the people who attended there, you look at, you've come across women who seem like they're just, uh, you're, you know, 
tradition or your homemakers who seem to also be there in these conferences, enjoying the community and so on, which is which is not probably where I would ever see. I would not see the, the, these women in general going to an AI conference, but but somehow crypto um, seems to bring in that pull of women from, you know, even less professional walks of life into the industry, which is very pretty interesting. My mom, um, who is not in tech field at all, she and I have regular conversations about all sorts of cryptocurrencies and the technologies behind them. And she understands, she understands a lot better than a lot of my friends do. Um, and she's getting quite, in, I mean, most days, uh, a savvy person in understanding the workings around the field. So I think there's also an equalizer here somehow um, with how blockchain's philosophy comes together. It's a decentralized model that is meant to bring people access to everything and anything. I think that aspect of gap is also being filled up just because of the way this technology seems to work too. Um, so that's a beautiful thing about it. I mean, I have similar observations when I also see that there is already a lot going on in the area of diversity and inclusion in so many different sectors, right? And it's on the agenda of most corporates and companies today. There's really a lot of visibility on the topic. How can we really make this diversity movement sustainable and not just a trend or a hype that will really fizzle out in a few years from now? Okay, because when you say diversity and inclusion to me, I, I'm not just thinking about women here, right? Or women yeah. of color or political ethnicity or, or just LGBTQ+. plus. I think it's all of these and, and more, if any. And what I come to realize time and again is that we, we do have initiatives that educate women or, or we run campaigns that sponsor um, the representation of LGBT community in various sectors. Um, but I think what's definitely required is to break stereotypes and conditions people's mind. And I think for me, that is at least the most important thing in this being sustainable, because when we think of, I think, let's say, when you think of LGBTQ representation in technology field, how often do you really think of them in a technology field? Uh, how often do you see, do you come across them in, in your day-to-day -day life? Not so much. Um, but, but you sort of tend to associate various people with various in, in industries naturally. And, and it's portrayed that way everywhere we go. In today's sort of digital world, where, where everywhere we walk, on the phones, on the ads, on the apps, on the TV, everywhere we go, we still seem to, to a large extent, in terms of profession at least, be a lot more stereotypical in the industries that we tend to associate people with. Um, we are definitely going more uh, inclusive in terms of um, representing all sorts of women, all sorts of color, shapes and sizes in, in various fields. Well, that sort of a voice has come out yet, has, has already come out with, with let's say, Victoria's Secret getting rid of angels, um, yeah. trying to go towards woman-focused um, uh, approach is one way around it. Clearly, that voice has been there um, asking for this sort of inclusion for quite some time. This was a topic that was being brought up in all sorts of media time and again. But I think not having to stereotype one's profession based on who they are has not really gotten the voice it's supposed to. And until we, we start picturing 
all sorts of people doing all sorts of fields, being it technical or, or otherwise, um, we are not going to have people being interested in technology or digitalization, um, women coming into these fields or, or even LGBTQ people coming into these fields or even people of color coming into these fields, um, it's still not normalized. And as a result, I think people quite young in their career, they still associate themselves into other sectors than just thinking about tech or digital sectors and things like that. Um, so I think this has to happen very early on in life um, for people to be able to condition their minds to thinking, ah, I have a whole set of options and not just this and this, or naturally tend towards one or the other. Yeah. Um, it would be good to have the sort of wise that Black Lives Matter has, it's strong, out there, fighting for it all the time. It gets its recognition in, in, in every part of the world today. So is LGBTQ community. They are getting recognized in every farm, in every country, everywhere. Their rights are being fought for. I, I think we now need to raise or get this sort of awareness um, for representation in, in all sorts of fields and bring the stereotypes in professional lives. Through your work in the, let's say, in the blockchain technology sector and also living in London as your main base of work, I would assume that you have a lot of interfaces with the financial industry, which kind of stems with your natural interest in the, in the sector itself. But what do you think are the different kind of opportunities which digitalization specifically can create for people who feel that not having enough financial literacy is really a barrier towards them progressing? I, I genuinely think uh, digitalization has already given us this platform uh, where it's equalizing people's financial um, availability to various um, platforms or products or options. Um, with the advent of, let's say, Robinhood, um, we have a lot more retail investors today. Yes, we don't have Robinhood in, in UK, for example, but we have the sort of equivalent of Robinhood, um, let's say trading two and two or, or um, Giro and things like that. Um, so I think in terms of how people can get access to either banks that give them the right sort of benefits with low fees or able to handle their finances better or how you can get your investments done right. I think these platforms are being made available and definitely blockchain is one of those platforms too that is bringing um, financial means closer to people. You see a lot of people getting into crypto today, um, but, but don't get me wrong. I'm not saying, yes, crypto, very different topic. Risky investment, you need to understand what you're putting into. It could be speculative if you don't understand what it is, but on a completely different note, um, why do you think a lot more people are getting into crypto today? And why has it been easy today as opposed to a few years ago when people wanted to get into stocks and investing in stocks or, or, or options and stuff like that? That is because the technology works in such a way that it is accessible to most people in general. It is built without middlemen in mind. It is built to be able to accessible to everyone in general. Yes, the exchanges themselves that you work with do have their own KYC requirements for people to be able to buy or sell something. But at the same time, if, if not this exchange, you're able to still create an exchange that is headquartered out of, let's say, Estonia or, or some other country that lets you create an 
your account and buy what you want and hold it in these countries too. Um, this sort of option was really never available for us in terms of investing investing a while ago. This is this is all new. So in terms of digitalization, I think we are having access to platforms today. Um, you don't even need a wealthy asset manager today. You just have robo-advisors that do that for you. Um, but I think what's probably more important today is, is um, understanding, people really understanding how to really work with their own money. I think the education aspect is still there. People are able to learn how to invest their money. There's no point in holding cash in your bank account when there's when it's an inflationary currency if the inflation keeps rising which it will there's no point in holding your currency by itself because it's just getting devalued so you need to be able to put this money into somewhere where it works for you it's just basic knowledge that we've not really been taught in schools in general but today we're able to learn all of this information, what's a risky asset, how to invest, how to diversify your portfolio, all of this online for free. And this is happening because of the digitalization we have today. I think what's really more important is to identify who to listen to and who not to listen to. And I can't be, I can't shout out at the top of my voice anymore here because what I see, especially in the last year or two happening is that there's just so many people who don't have any sort of experience working with uh, or investing too much coming up and giving advice either on a reddit post or on a uh, or influencers from instagram talking about how buy this crypto or pumping and dumping um, that a common person really does not know how to differentiate what really is true information to listen to and what not because we have always been listening to using news and news outlets and blogs as uh, we, we take their word for granted. We, we, we most certainly always believe what they say. But today it's gone to a point where we really need to be cautious about most of the stuff that we read online because a lot of it sounds very genuine, sounds like as if it's well-researched, but it necessarily not might be the case. So it's really about educating oneself. Um, again, it's a self-fulfilling prophecy in some sense that, well, where do you get yourself educated from online? Maybe if, if online is where you can also find bad information. So that part is really becoming tricky, but on a whole different topic, I also think in terms of digitalization, it might be great for taxes, for example, today. There's not, I think, enough products, digital products or digital tax education websites or blogs out there that really help understand people how to really work with their money. Um, rich people just have, you know, their own private wealth management firms or tax advisors or accountants that take care of this sort of thing. And they don't really have income, right? They don't really pay income tax. But for people who work on a salary, um, what they have to do is to learn to figure out how do you really save your money or invest it in such a way that you can make the best use of the tax regulation in the country or other tax options that you have outside. That sort of, I really don't see those sorts of products today um, or even websites today. So there's still a lot more opportunity on that aspect of things too in terms of digitalization. And I think that's also one of the challenges of digitalization, right? Because today it boils down to the individual person to filter out and educate themselves on what is actually relevant and what source it comes from and tap into which digital channels are actually actually meant as a learning platform versus that's general crowdsourced information, which is more of an advice. 
and not really have a solid foundation of where the where the information comes from. And I think that is one of the challenges which we have. I mean, we also have a lot of access to opportunities and information more than ever before. But of course, at the same time, as you mentioned, right, it's more about educating ourselves for what's what is actual facts and what is actual information which can benefit us. Let me move a bit towards uh, talking a bit about the pandemic, right? Because we're still, I would say, in the midst of the pandemic. And I know that your current role allowed you to work remotely even before the the COVID-19 situation. So were there any changes to the way you work even after the pandemic hit us? I'm actually surprised you remember that I was also working from home a few days um, before the pandemic too. Um, Well, so before pandemic, probably we would at least do two to three days a week from the office and then the remaining two days from home. Um, Also being a tech role and tech research role, that sort of balance actually worked out for us. Um, And it was definitely required to also meet in person because... um, our whiteboarding sessions where we sit around a whiteboard and discuss all sort of approaches um, probably was the most um, bang for the buck that got out of our researchers' time, right? Because where everybody sits together and talks and ponders and attacks everybody's protocol or contributes to it to make it better, that was very important. And so we needed to be present in the office to be able to do that. Um, so obviously, once pandemic hit and we all had to work from home, um, we definitely were used to this before and we were technologically set up for this within terms of meetings or slack or uh, zoom and things like that um but i also see on one end this not really being 100 productive either just because what i lack today the most is or, or during the whole pandemic what i liked the most was that the learning curve I realized was the most for me when I was having conversations of either technical nature or product nature um, with the people around me, because we're we're always questioning one another. Uh, We're always questioning about why this could be better or we're adding to it and making it better. That sort of conversation never came from working from home. So in the end, working from home always became, became about learning for myself and learning from the articles that I would read which I could anyway do if I were to work from office too. But on top of that, I would also learn from everybody else's learnings too. So, so to me, I think that was a big difference. And I'm sure in September, when we all probably go back to office, we would still go back to the same two to three days from office, two days from home sort of split, because that really gives the best of both worlds. I don't, I don't personally think working from home entirely is, is, uh, is the way to go forward. And now that we are slowly coming out and hopefully coming out of the pandemic, how do you think that the whole COVID-19 situation has impacted the trend of digitalization at the workplace? I mean, you already mentioned a couple of digital tools which were in place, but do you see any big differences or improvements um, which are digitalization related at your workplace? In terms of workplace itself, because we were a tech team, we were always probably set up in most cases to be able to work from home in terms of the tools we used. And like, let's say an investment bank or their, their, their tools were to, they, they didn't even probably, they couldn't even take their laptops back home and working with some of these banks just because these laptops were never built to work from outside their own um, network systems within the office. Um, so they had to figure out all of that in banks, but that was never really the case working in this sort of tech role. Um, what I definitely do see the biggest impact though is that 
um, going into the whole work from home thing, I wasn't too certain about the kind of changes that will be that we will retain long term, but I already see a lot of that today. What what might be long term is that a lot of the roles um, in my field, or the lot of people I see moving when they move their jobs, um, they are receiving full time work from home options. Like you, their offers are based out of the fact that you can sit anywhere in the world and work from that part of the world. Um, that wasn't too common once upon a time. I wouldn't see that too commonly before, but that seems to be a new model that companies have figured out where they decided it's fine if you don't have people coming to the office ever. It's fine if these people live in different countries, we'll just hire them from that place and pay them what we would pay them if they were to work from our this country where the company is based out of. So I, I see a lot more of work from home being promoted full time and also being encouraged. Um, and, and as a result, the tools that have also become popular, I mean, we, we hear about Zoom and um, Slack and the rest, but I realize a lot of tech firms do have upped their game. Cisco's, I heard, um, Cisco, I'm sure we all used WebEx, Cisco. Cisco really upped their game and they're, they're, they have some of the, they were, they were always great, but now their new offering is one of the, their best versions ever they could be out there. I mean, Microsoft really got rid of Skype and they, they decided to have something even better, which is Teams, which works a lot better than that. Now we have hundreds of other new firms like Loom in US, um, which lets you actually record your videos and share a recording of those videos with people too, um, just so then you can easily explain the same thing to hundreds of people and not have to, either have them all on a call at the same time or um, you know, not having to do the same thing a thousand times, really. So I, I see a lot of products in terms of work from home geared coming into the market now. Um, and that seems to obviously be the case because they see clients coming their way for it. And clearly there's this whole push of working from home becoming a new norm. Yeah, and I completely agree. I really feel that the whole Corona situation has definitely impacted digitalization and how we work and use digital tools and accelerated the whole trend quite a lot. So maybe as a wrap up, I would like to ask you a rather reflective question. What is stopping us from being more digital today? I actually think it's the opposite. I think we are super digital today. Because um, tell me a time or tell me a task for which we don't use our phone or laptop for anymore. Um, really, other than taking a shower or using the restroom, I think even in the restroom, I take my phone to read the news and, and things. And in the shower these days, I actually listen to a podcast. So, so there's not a time. That's, that's so true. There's just not a time when I'm not digital in my life. I think my biggest problem today that was even probably triggered a lot more by the work from home is the boundary of me and my digital life. Because if you remember, probably when you see this movie like Ready Player One, where people enter this virtual world and live yeah. in real life in the virtual world. And we thought, ooh, this is so futuristic, right? That's where we're gonna be in the future, um, probably, and how do we solve this problem then? But I think, okay, fine, the virtual world really doesn't exist in that beautiful form that they show in Ready Player One. But it's actually all here today. Everything we do is on the apps. We just never realized it's gone that far. I think my biggest problem today or a lot of our problem is to actually peel ourselves away from the phones or screens. I find that incredibly hard. I think we are ultra digital today. I think, I think what we probably lack today is the, the time away from devices to actually 
think your thoughts because you can learn all of these beautiful things from your life if you're not taking time away from these devices and thinking for yourself what you're doing what your objectives are um what does this mean to you what should you change about how you approach this if you can't really assimilate these sorts of things um you're really playing by whatever you read online and not adding yourself to it and editing it accordingly. And I think that's my biggest problem today. I think I'd like to probably have a little less of the digital time and a little bit more of my time so I can ponder these things and align myself accordingly. So yeah, I think I think we've already started being digital. I think we're living digital. I think we need to stop being completely digitally penny. Thanks a lot for sharing a story with us, Chaitanya. I think it was great having you on the show today. And I personally really enjoyed the conversation. That is it for today's episode of the Digitalization and Diversity podcast. Join us again next time as we further explore in what ways digitalization and diversity impact each other. 